never forget when I called you and said, Mike, I'm getting off this medicine. And I remember you calling me back and said, you want to hear the good news or the bad news? And, it, you know, you told me it's going to be rough. And that's the way it was. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, our CEO, Mike Bros, is going to interview his longtime friend and one of the greatest supporters of our organization, Gail Richards. They're going to talk about a number of things, but primarily Gail is our guest today because she is courageously sharing her story so that others may understand what it's like to overcome an addiction to a prescription that she was prescribed to overcome anxiety. But what was prescribed as an as-needed drug became eventually something that she was taking all the time. So it's a great honor that Gail is with us to share a story that Mike and I know is going to do a lot of good. And that's really what Gail's all about. She's one of the most compassionate and helpful people that we know. So we hope you enjoy. We hope you learn. And the Mental Health Download starts now. This is Mike Bros with Mental Health Association Oklahoma's podcast, Mental Health Download. And today's guest is Gail Richards. Uh, Gail is a very, very close and dear friend for many years uh, of not only myself personally, but of this organization. And Gail, I want to welcome you to Mental Health Download podcast. Thank you, Mike. Very nice of you, uh, Gail, to be willing to join us today. We have a, a very, very important topic to discuss, but before we get to that, I just want to just sort of give you a, a few minutes to sort of uh, very briefly tell, you know, uh, the, your our listeners about your reason for being involved with uh, mental health issues and Mental Health Association uh, from a historical standpoint for many years. Well, I uh, came from a family that was very involved with mental health and Mental Health Association of Oklahoma. Uh, I have a sister who is schizophrenic, who's been sick since she was probably a little girl. And it's something that we, as a family, have always dealt with and supported um, her struggles. And just as part of giving back to the community, wanted to be involved like my family had been with uh, mental health issues on all different levels. And housing particularly, it was very important. Uh, With all of our family's resources, that was one segment that we had a very difficult time with my sister. So we figured if she's, we're having a problem getting housing, what about the other people in the community? So that has been a many decade issue that we've been involved in. Right. And of course, with anytime we talk about mental health issues, uh, mental illness, uh, substance abuse issues, uh, the, the issue of stigma always comes up, of course. And and you guys have, uh, back when it wasn't that popular, I mean, right now you have all these celebrities uh, suddenly talking very openly and uh, uh, very tra- uh, very transparently about their own journeys around those issues. Uh, but historically, that's not been the case. But you and your family have always been 
very, very transparent before it was kind of cool to do so, so to speak. And, um, you know, what was that about in terms from your family's perspective about being so transparent? I think when you're transparent, you can give the the other people that are out there that are struggling with it um, that it's okay. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to ask for help and that it takes a village to help those in need and that we just felt it was a calling. You know, even myself as a little girl, um, you know, I just felt that that was my duty to help others in the community with what we had, the, the, the journey that we had gone through with my sister was really awful. And now she, I will say she's at a great, she's at a good place, but um, we just felt that it was just our duty to make sure that other people in the community, in our community, didn't have to go through that to make their lives easier, not only from the family's perspective, but from the person that was going through it. Yeah, and just for our listeners, on a personal note, Gail and her family have been, you know, real role models for me personally, but also for uh, this organization in terms of, uh, you know, supporting us, uh, supporting us at a time when, again, as I said earlier, it wasn't near as uh, popular or easy to talk about as it is now. We still have a long ways to go in that area, but we are making progress. And, and Gail, you and your family um, have been real pioneers, and uh, we can't thank you and honor you and your family enough for that. Um, you know, one of the things that happened that came across, I mean, in our journeys of life, um, you here a few years ago, you lost your dad and um, uh, and you also lost your brother. Um, and um, those were very, very, obviously very, very important people in your life. And it had a real um, you know, impact on you personally, your whole family, of course, and, and everybody that knew and loved, uh, you know, Scott and, and your dad. And so, uh, you know, that was a particularly hard time for you. And kind of, I think a part of what we're going to talk about kind of maybe start right there kind of in terms of what, how did that, how, how was your coping and how you sort of, um, tried to manage your way through that and kind of we can kind of maybe jump off there as a part of today's content of our, our talk. Okay. Well, I've, I've always been, my genetic makeup is very, uh, very stressed out, I guess you might say, or anxious. And I always had a, a, a propensity to, to panic attacks and uh, anxiety even early on, but you know, I, I coped with that within reason. And um, early, before my dad and my brother got sick, I had started taking uh, a tranquilizer called clonopin, which is a benzodiazepine, and just as needed. And then as the years went on, as needed became more, I, you know, more needed. And then maybe the turning point was when my dad got sick, my brother died, uh, I just really felt the stress of my family responsibility, my mom, who was in, you know, in her late 80s, my sister, lots of other things, and I started taking the as needed as all the time. And sort of 
what sort of daily impact was that as you then as you looked at it at the time and now looking back on it what what do you see back as a part of that experience in terms of the impact that had on you well i was taking it a lot and my i felt that it was helping me but in retrospect what it was it was kind of tamping me down i was there but i wasn't there but i felt like i it was i was great and um, as needed became, you know, when I would talk to my kids or my mom or my sister, I needed more and more and more. And um, so I was looking for alternatives. So when Oklahoma passed the medical marijuana laws, I thought, well, you know, hey, maybe this is something that I could use that would help me and it wouldn't be as powerful is the benzodiazepine. So I went in to get my medical marijuana license and the doctor that you know you go in to see took a look at my medications and she said to me, honey, you have got to get off this benzodiazepine. And I was like, really? She said, yes, it's, it's a horrible drug. It's worse than opiates. And how long have you been on? And I said, well, maybe nine years, 10 years. Well, when I went home to look at my medical records from different doctors and whatever, it looked like it was about a 20-year-old habit. Okay. And, of course, these were all prescribed. Um, you, <clears throat> you always take great care of yourself. You, uh, if you have an issue physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, you, I've always, in all the years I've known you, you always seek consultation from a uh, physician, um, and these were, of course, were all prescribed by one or more physicians over a course of time. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, I felt good. You know, when I'd go in to see my docs, you know, to every so often, and they'd ask me how I was doing, and I said, "Great, I felt great." They felt that I was doing great. Um, Everyone felt like I was doing great, but in retrospect, you know, in talking to my kids, they had a different perspective. They thought I was there, but I wasn't there. But uh -huh. I felt I was there and engaged, and they felt like with my grandchildren that I wasn't quite as engaged as, you know, I should be. And I, that, you know, that didn't phase me. I didn't even get that. Uh huh. It was almost like a, it was. Was it kind of like a, that they were having one experience with you, but you internally it looked and felt completely different, and there was a real disconnect. Is right, that a good right, description? Of right. It? And I felt you know I was uh, very involved in lots of things. I thought I was very productive. I got a lot done. Um, you've always taken great care of yourself physically. You exercise. Right. You're, you're, I know that you're always um, very conscientious about your nutrition. Um, you always look fantastic. <laughs> uh, and uh, but in the midst of all of your physical health care, uh, was this thing related to? And I think you you would probably use the word addiction. Oh, absolutely. I was addicted. You know, and I. Um, kind of, you know, I never really asked very many questions. I just took it because it, it felt good. You know, I, I felt as long as I didn't go to the 
when I went to refill it and they said, oh my gosh, it's too early. You know, I, I didn't really have that. Um, uh, so after I met with this doctor, um, the med medical marijuana doctor, I went home and I did a little bit of my own research, which was probably 20 years too late, and I started reading about the benzos and how horrible they were and how awful it was to get, you know, get off of them. So I called my internist. He hooked me up with a psychiatrist, and I went in there to talk to her about getting off of it. And I kind of gave her the reasoning why I wanted to get off of it. But I really did not level with her because I thought it was about nine or ten years. And in looking back in her records from the past doctors, that's about what she had. Uh, the other ten years, you know, weren't on that record. So um, I was fooling myself and I fooled her. So we titrated about three weeks, which in retrospect, was way too short. I mean, too, too fast. Too, too rapid of, uh, of, 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 of titration right, off of that. Right, uh, And, you know, she was working on the information I gave her. So I don't think any of us realized how, what a, how awful it was going to be. So I went off of it totally on the 30th of October. And the end of this month, it'll be seven months. And, um... You know, it it was pretty awful. In terms of have, experiencing withdrawal? With, withdrawal. Okay. And, and um, I think what people really don't know is that how awful this withdrawal is. And I think that some, in retrospect, when I look back at my life the last 20 years, I think I, when I would not use the medication frequently and would try to get and take it less because different times in your life where you're less stressful, I would feel bad. And I did not really realize that that was withdrawal. And then so then you would re-administer. Absolutely. And, and that was to because you felt like, oh, I'm getting anxious. But in hindsight, you're looking at it and, and saying that was I was beginning to have withdrawal symptoms. Right. And that doesn't feel very good. No. And I, I just was <clears throat> uneducated. And didn't really, you know, and then you don't really want to fess up and talk to anybody about it because you think, you know, I can handle this myself. Uh, but for several months, it was pretty awful. It was pretty awful. I mean, you know, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. Um, I lost a lot of weight. I was very anxious. And then because I was sleep deprived, I was uh, put on Ambien, which... Ambien is really as bad as clonopine. So, you know, not only was I kicking the the clonopin habit, I was trying to get off the Ambien, too, and try to get into some kind of a normal sleep pattern. And I know, you know, from a personal standpoint, uh, the one thing I noticed, though, was that you had wonderful family support and also friends and family around you who were there supporting you during this journey, which I think was probably, in hindsight, probably pretty important, too. Oh, absolutely. My husband was wonderful. Um, he was uh, scared, too, because we both thought that my brain would never rewire. You know, now my psychiatrists and therapists, they kept saying, you're going to be, you know, it's going to happen. It's just going to take a long time. 
but we also I know that the courage that you had and your determination and something that you made up your mind about and you wanted to get clean and kind of get a reset if I can use that term what have you but it was a from when you started to say today uh, it's it's been a a rewarding but a pretty tough journey oh absolutely and and the one of the more interesting things right now I'm trying to figure out what is normal because for 20 years I medicated myself so I really didn't know what normal anxiety was which you know normal anxiety is really good in some for, for people and I never developed the tools to deal with the anxiety so the medicine was like a quick fix. I didn't need to have to deal with it, you know. Some of those new tools you're in the process of developing, what are those, Gail, uh, as an alternative to the benzodiazepines? Now, what are the other tools you're using in your in your new toolbox? Well, in my new toolbox, I am trying to instill compassion, gratitude, acceptance, meaning, forgiveness, which I try to do every day. I keep a journal, a resilient journal that walks me through these um, different things. So it has a spiritual quality right. to it and right. what have and, you. And mindfulness and being grateful for every day and trying to um, stay away from the negativity and be more positive, you know, take, uh, you know, one step at a time. Because, you know, still I there are days when I'm great and then other days I'm good, but I, I still feel this heaviness in my chest and pit in my stomach, and I know it's anxiety, and I don't have that little white pill to pop, that little devil. And um, so I have to learn, you know, breathing, meditation. Uh, talking I, therapy. Talking therapy. Extra, went, exercising. Exercising. I, I was a big exercise person, and I just kind of, I couldn't deal. I had you know, friends that they were dragging me out and it just, I couldn't face it. But, you know, it's the more I've done, the better I've gotten. And, uh, uh, you know, my kids really wanted me to go to Betty Ford or some type of treatment center. They, they were real worried. And I just couldn't see, you know, or Laureate or somewhere else uh, to stay locally. But I, I felt that with my family's support that I could stay at home and, uh, you know, fight this, you know, battle. I mean, sometimes I felt like I was alone. And sometimes, you know, my husband got tired of it after many months of, uh, you know, hanging out at the house all the time. And, you know, I could, could barely eat. I was living on cheeseburgers and uh, uh, malts. The Just best to, of comfort foods. Yeah, absolutely. Just to gain, gain the weight back that I'd lost. And, you know, when, when they say one day at a time, sometimes I'll say to people, it's one day at a time, sometimes it's one hour at a time, and sometimes it's one minute at a time. And I think you you really experience that firsthand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every every day, you know, I it was like a lot of hours were spent pacing. I must have walked a million miles uh, if I'd have had a Fitbit on and... Uh, and then things got better, and uh, um, you know, I uh, people would ask us to go out to dinner and do things I really didn't want to do. My my husband really pushed me hard sometimes, and you know, when I went out, I did okay. 
you know, there'd be times when I just kind of sit there and not say much, but I just kind of try to, you know, be be engaged and it got easier and easier. Let me ask you kind of a, a, a difficult question a little bit around this very area, Gail. It, it, I almost get the impression that in looking back that maybe tools that you're now developing you didn't ever develop because you sort of relied on the benzodiazepine and so in a way it almost sounds like it kind of almost retarded some of the growth and skill development to help you manage through your anxiety that now you're really full-fledged engaged in. Is that close? Yeah, I think so. I, I felt like I had to do everything. You know, the perfectionism in me was just, you know, so I needed so I needed that extra help which which solved my problems. So I didn't have to have those tools. You know, I never thought I mean I was grateful and all that, but I never really thought about it, you know. And now I'm really trying to think about a lot, you know, giving back to people, being grateful, sending them compassion, um, you know, talking to people, you know, and I mean, I always was talking, but I didn't really feel like, a, now I feel like I wasn't really there. Right. So now I feel like I'm really engaged. Right. I, I noticed that in you, that you're much more attuned and focused about what's going on around you, what have you. And I didn't notice it because that's kind of just how I experienced how you were. But now I see such a transition now of that, uh, of clarity of mind is what I would call it. I mean, I, you know, I didn't even really know what color eyes my grandchildren had because I never really looked at them. You know, I just kind of like, you know, so now I, you know, it's, I'm much more aware, you know, and I try to take the time every day to really look at things if it's in if it's not a flower or you know things in you know a tree just things you know in my house that I really never paid much attention to you know clothes I mean I just go to the store and buy a bunch of stuff I never paid any attention to it you know and now I'm just thinking what were you thinking buying that or you know something Uh uh-huh let me ask you how in that transition um, and the withdrawal in that period of time, uh, how tempting was it to maybe turn back? Uh, how how hard was that to, to maybe, maybe I can't do this? How much was that in there? I, I knew I had to get off this stuff because, you know, I still had a lot of good years left. And, um, you know, I, I really, there was a couple of times that I thought, well, you know, maybe... I should get back on. In fact, I even had uh, some people suggest that maybe I should get back on a little of it to help me get off of it. But in talking to lots of people, they can't get off of this drug. People don't realize how bad it is. And they get a lot of messages that this is your lot in life and you'll have to take this the rest of your life. Right. Right. Because they can't go through the withdrawal, which I can understand. It was like... uh, it was like hell. Like I, I really, uh, my sister-in-law sent me an article because she lives in California and there's all kinds, you know, everybody's on something. And um, about a movie star, you know, I, I had never heard of it. Her, She was young, for younger people. And the title was Clonopine. Getting off Clonopine was like taking a acid trip every day 
for six months until my brain got better. And I, I really have never taken acid, but I was like, oh my God, is this what I have to look forward to? And I would say that that was probably true. It was, you know, it was, and a lot of it I can't remember, which is probably good. Uh-huh. But, um, uh, it's it's amazing. It takes a toll on you, not only mentally but physically. Right. You know, just your your everything about you. And uh, you know, I guess if I had known this before, I probably maybe would have never tried it. But it's such a quick fix. You know, I think that people need to uh, realize that they if they do take medication, they need to do these other have all these other tools so as they get off the medication they can transition with the help of using those. I went up to Mayo Clinic and took a week-long course about stress and transformation which was which was very helpful. Um, they've been doing a lot of research this is not a plug for Mayo Clinic but this they've been doing a lot of research in the neuro, neurological the brain right and they have taken shown the brains of people on this drug and I'm sure others and how once they get off of it and they they start living their life with compassion and gratitude and all these other things that the fight flight or fight uh, part of our brain shrinks and the part that we want to strengthen gets better and I mean there's a lot of scientific data out there to support to support a, a lot of this, right? Um, so, in I want you know make sure the listeners really caught in as a part of your journey is that you you sought medical consultation about the process, and you got some good help. Um, you had had a lot of messages, I think, from some of your providers. Just take these. Here's the prescription. Um, no questions asked, um, but 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 in terms of your journey with this, you did seek medical attention to help you in this process. Oh, absolutely! And we would strongly recommend any, any of your listeners to do it that way and not try to do it alone. No, and I would say if you want to um, get off the medication, that a plan with your doctor, provider therapist, whatever, would be a good thing to have planned out before you go into this so that not only they are aware, but you are aware of what you've got in store for you. And and then to have that family support right, absolutely. around Very you. Very important. Yeah, not to be like if, uh, you know, you, you, I mean, I watched that from outside and watch uh, your husband, Kip, and uh, your, I knew that your kids were uh, really right there with you every step of the way and how important that was to the process of this very difficult time of withdrawal. Absolutely. You know, it's that, you know, everyone needs that. And I think that if I had gone away to a, a uh, you know, inpatient, which I think some people need to do that. I mean, I'm since I've been doing this, I've been in places and talked to a lot of people and it's amazing how many people have tried to get off these benzos and they can't and they just figure you know I'm just going to stay on these the rest of my life but there's so much new scientific data about how it harms the brain and dementia and all kinds of other things that's not to say you know if you get off of it you know you're 
you're not going to have these issues. Right. But, you know, it just, you know, it's a healthier way of living. One thing I've really noticed, and, and you know, we're, we're good friends, and I, we talk all the time, and that there's a sense of you have legitimate, I think, appreciation and pride in yourself in terms of what you've been able to do here in the face of a very difficult process, and now you're really, you feel good about reaping the benefit of it. Oh, absolutely. And I hope that, you know, people, if people listen to this and they're having some issues, that maybe it will help them make a decision. You know, it's something that you need to talk to your loved ones about and your docs and whomever. And, and if you're going to go this way, you need to have that support system around you when you go, when you go into this. Um, if you had to kind of like, uh, well, here's my lessons learned uh, from all of this, uh, what, what would some of those be that maybe you would share with the listeners? Well, you know what they say, if it tastes too good, it's not good for you. Uh-huh. When something can solve all your problems, it's, it's not good for you. That that it's just not that's not how life no, works. No, no, you have to take the good with the bad, and that uh, you know, I just think that it was just something that was so it was such a quick fix for me, and um, easy that I just I was addicted to it, and uh, uh, that's in in retrospect that's not the way I wanted to live my life. I mean, right. that's not to say I wasn't didn't accomplish things and, you know, hopefully was, you know, a good mother and all that, a good wife. But, um, you know, it was just kind of like it was living in a fantasy land, you know. Gail, you have always been one of my heroes in life and someone I have always looked up to and admired in so many ways. You personally, your family, of course, but, but you personally, and you've been – for me, uh, you know, a great friend and been very supportive. You, I don't know how many times I've called you and I had to voice my frustrations and with life and things that had happened. And you've always been such a compassionate, good friend, supportive. I've I've had to, over the years sometimes share with you things that weren't exactly all pleasant that were happening in my life and in my world. But regardless, you were always there. You've always been in my corner and you've always been one of my heroes. But I got to tell you, um, if it was even possible, you're even more so now. And just to uh, be a friend, to be there alongside you, one of the many friends and family members that were there alongside you, it was a real honor to support you and all that. And man, I, I mean, it was rough. And But I I just can't say enough, uh, your courage and your willingness to come on. I, you know, I know that we talked about, when we talked about this idea of you coming on the podcast uh, on the Mental Health Download about, you know, Gail, you need to make sure your family's okay with this. And and you did, and they were supportive of you being very public with this. And uh, and, and I know your big motivation is to help others. Right. Well, I never, I'll never forget when I called you and said, Mike, I'm getting off this medicine. And you said, well, I'm going to have my um, interns research it. And I remember you calling me back and said, you want to hear the good news or the bad news? And, you know, you told me it's going to be rough. 
it's not going to be easy and every day you might go two or three days and feel good and then the next and you think you're over it and then the next day you feel horrible again and that's the way it was and I appreciate your friendship and your honesty too and hopefully like you said through this podcast maybe if people you know maybe they can do something different that's going to be healthier for them and uh, um, not uh, not go as long as I did. Yeah, and maybe Gail, um, um, as we kind of finish today's podcast, uh, maybe we could uh, invite you back in, say, six months and kind of get a part two and kind of how you're doing and get an update and think about that. And uh, that might be interesting. And uh, and, I, and I bet we hear some, from some people between now and then, and we may get some questions or people reaching out to us that have heard your testimonial here, your lived experience and your journey um, uh, with these medications and uh, the withdrawal and life without them. Um, and the development of new tools, and you'll have uh, more as that that process continues for you. Right. Well, I I know that uh, I have a friend that's a who's a neuroscientist, and he told me he that I if I can stay off of him, he said if you stay off him a year, you probably have a very slim chance of going back on him. But always remember that you could. And I, I was shocked when he said that because I thought, I have no, at this point, I have no desire to ever go back on him. I didn't even think that, you know, I thought once you're off of him, you know, you, I, I, have, I have no desire, at, you know, to go on him anymore. That's I mean, not one, at all. One day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I think life is much better. Well, Gail, we'll end it there. And again, and thank you so much for coming on. Thoroughly enjoyed our time together. And again, uh, uh, congratulations. And uh, we will continue to uh, uh, our work on behalf of mental health and uh, um, reducing stigma and helping people get treatment and access to care that they need and uh, when they need it. And uh, and again, I can't thank you enough for being on um, Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Mental Health Download today. Thanks, Gail. Thank you.